0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, in the history of Israel, uh, the role of the prophet was significant uh, because the message uh, was never their message, uh, their words were never their words. Rather, the message, their words belonged to God. This is why as you look in the prophet Isaiah, our Old Testament reading, Thus saith the Lord. And the prophetic message typically came in three parts, sort of like my sermon. And, um, and it came in three parts. You had first, the first part was the calling out of Israel's sin and their need for repentance. Uh, the second part to the message of the prophets was the impending judgment as a result of their disobedience from God. And then the third part was how God would handle the situation. And if you look in the prophets, there's the near term and then there's the long term and typically they overlap. There's the near term that would happen to the people right then and there and then the long term manifested and fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you see these three distinct parts in the message of John the Baptist, who is the seal of the Old Testament prophets. I love how someone put it in the devotion group this week. He's the last exit on the highway to Jesus, you know, with his long finger. He's the last exit there. And you see that. He's got three parts to his message. First, he calls Israel to repentance. So you have the entire nation coming to the banks of the Jordan River. Second, he announces the impending judgment of God when he proclaims the axe is already laid to the root and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Then three, how God's going to take care of it. He will baptize you with water, with, with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. However, here's the thing. John the Baptist's message, it crescendos in the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophet's voice when he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." What made a prophet, what made, this is a question, what made a prophet in the Old Testament? Well, this is my first point. What made a prophet in the Old Testament was that ultimately they pointed Israel to God's solution to not only Israel, but all of humanity's problem of sin, rebellion, and ultimately death. The prophet's job was to point to Israel and humanity's solution. Notice, John doesn't point to the universe. We have Goop to do that for us. Um, You know, he doesn't point to the universe as our solution. He doesn't point to our piety or our attempts at giving it another shot as if there's some sort of ladder to climb. John the Baptist points to Christ and John points to Jesus as something very, 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 very specific. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is because John the Baptist's initial audience there on the banks of the River Jordan, that statement would have conjured up three very, very powerful images. The first image it would have conjured up would be the Lamb that was daily offered in the temple as a sacrifice, as an atonement for the sins of Israel. As a matter of fact, when that uh, lamb would go up, the high priest would lay his hands on that lamb before he cut its throat, and he would say the sins and the transgressions of Israel. Second, it would have conjured up the image of the Passover lamb, which Israel remembered every Seder. The Passover, when Israel was delivered from slavery in Egypt... And then three, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, whose iniquity of the sins of the world is laid upon. It would have conjured up everybody's mind, the suffering servant in Isaiah's prophecy upon whom the iniquities of the world are laid. That's what they would have thought. And here comes, and I just picture it, Jesus walking down the bank and he points right there. And there... It's all being fulfilled. There is the exit from all our striving, all our trying. All religions, even secularism, has some form of atonement within it. I mean our own. You think about it today. We have a secular religion and those gods need to be appeased. And how do we appease them? We cancel things. We cancel people. I mean, every religion. I remember one time I was preaching in Sweden, in Uppsala, at the site of the old, like where the old pagan uh, king sat. They built a giant, the original cathedral. And around it are these mounds where the Vikings, it's just they once a year killed everything to appease the gods. The Aztecs. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd probably be an atheist. And if I wasn't an atheist, I'd worship a Mesoamerican god because those gods were really serious. And uh, all they wanted was your heart. You know what I mean? It was like real serious. Real serious stuff. However, here's the thing the great truth of Christianity, because we're not all basically the same. This is the thing that sets the Christian faith apart in the pantheon of the religions of the world, even secularism. God, in Christianity, God provides the Lamb. When you take that all the way back to Genesis, with Abraham and Isaac. God provides the sacrifice. And in Jesus, Jesus takes away the sin by becoming sin as the Lamb who atones for not just Israel's sin, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, as our great Passover lamb, redeems us, not just simply from the slavery of the forces of the world, but from the slavery and bondage of sin and death that captivate each and every one of us. And Jesus, as the suffering servant of Isaiah, has bore every single one of our iniquities. And his sacrifice, in his sacrifice, you and I are made free, really, really, truly free not free to finally kind of do it ourselves and fulfill God's demands on our own, dazzling Him with this newfound form of piety as if we would if we only could. No, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to set us free, free to really be. In Jesus Christ, you are no longer just simply not guilty. You are totally innocent. And that's a living reality right now that's stepped into by faith. And let me tell you, there is nothing more inclusive than the Lamb. Because before the Lamb of God, everyone is a sinner and everyone needs saving. We're all on square one. Jesus, for you, is not simply the Redeemer of the redeemable or the Savior of the salvageable. He's not the lamb who takes away the sins of those who have the good sense to finally believe in him. He takes away the sins of the world. And your sin is taken care of in the lamb. And this is my second point. In every other religion of the world, man must seek, find, and appease God believe me, you sense it because the law is written on your heart. You sense it because you know something's off. However, the gospel, it uniquely declares God seeks, finds, and saves sinners. Christianity follows the entire prophetic tradition of Judaism, follows the entire prophetic tradition of the Old Testament, culminating in John the Baptist's long finger that's found on the Eisenheim altarpiece in Colmar, France. This long finger that points to Christ and him crucified, and it says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the whole world, no sin unaccounted for, no sinner left out. He saves the world by becoming the world, by becoming you and I, sin. That's an epiphany. And that's what this season is all about. Eureka! We found it! Or more likely, it, he found us. And what I find actually mind-blowing, take a look at this text again, what I find mind-blowing about this gospel reading is, if you think about it, We're all personally connected to this particular reading because each and every one of us are the fruit of a very long chain of people sharing the gospel that goes all the way back to this very moment. Andrew sharing the revelation of God in Christ with his brother Peter. And then as you continue to read in John chapter 1, you have Philip bringing Nathanael to Jesus and so on and so on and so on till Tucson Arizona where there's this dude named Jeff Scara in a pool sharing the gospel with me. And maybe your parents brought you to the gospel and baptism. Maybe something like that, but it's all connected. And this what we have in our gospel reading is an image of what evangelism actually is all about. People bringing people to Jesus. evangelism though in many circles is a dirty word it's the e-word if you will and I'm not talking about Episcopalian you know what I mean it's like although in some places in the Episcopal church it is an e-word you know we're two we're above that give me a break but on one level, I get why people see evangelism as kind of an e-word because in a lot of circles, it's totally rote, it's formulaic. You remember the two-question test? If you don't know what I'm talking about, praise God. But uh, you know, and uh, and on another level, it's it's uh, coercive, especially when the validity of our evangelism and our testimony is based on us and our behavior. Notice uh, Andrew's word to Peter: "Come, we have found the Messiah." Many in the church for years, still, they still do this approach. Jesus and evangelism, they approach it like Jesus and the Colgate challenge. You know, I've used this example before, but it's true. I used to not use Colgate, and I had bad breath and no friends. But now I use Colgate, and uh, you know, I'm the hit of every party. Thanks, Colgate. And we do this with Jesus too. And we do this with Jesus in everything, not just evangelism. We use him as a means to an end as opposed to him being the telos, the very end in of itself. You know, I used to be like this, and then I met Jesus, and now Jesus has made everything better, and my life is amazing. Until, of course, it's not. Until, of course, there's a crack in the boiler. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just talking about me, not you. But anyway, um, but when Jesus and our evangelism is used as a means to an end, or in other words, when we make it all about us, it's all about you, baby. You know, when we make it all about us, that strips evangelism of its power. Because evangelism is not about what we are doing. It's about what God has already accomplished for us in this lamb. And what our gospel reading is teaching us today about evangelism is that this prophetic word is not about you, but about what God has done for you. And so when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to talking about our faith, talking about Jesus, well, it just relieves the burden in three very specific ways that I'm going to share with you right now that will make, when you share your faith or tell people about Christ, very natural. First, you are freed. You are freed from having to worry about the legitimacy of our experiences becoming the claims to the validity of our faith. You know, your self-improvement plan being the legitimacy of Christianity. The truth of the gospel is not contingent upon the ebbs and the flows of your life. You're actually saved despite the ebbs and flows of your life. And if anything, the ebbs and the flows of your life confirm that you need the Lamb of God more. And what this does is that this makes you sensitive to the ebbs and flows of other people's lives. So then second, because your sins have been totally forgiven and it's objectively outside of you true, you're free and given permission to live your life in humility. To confess your pain. We don't have to hold it together for Jesus. We no longer have to pretend to be anything other than what the gospel tells us. And it tells us we're two things at the same time. The first is stuck in a rut that we can't get out of, to quote you too. And then the second, because of this lamb, you are children of the living God. And you have a father in heaven who has made and declares you righteous saints. So therefore, we approach the world not on our own two feet, but in humility, in humility. And to the person who's compulsive or addicted, uh, this makes all the difference in the world, because you yourself are a real person as well. Therefore, third, the weight of the message, the gospel is taken off our shoulders, and it's put right on the shoulders of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ for you who promises redemption despite our feelings or how our lives happen to be shaking out right now. I remember back in 2017 uh, when we had the main service over at Calvary and I was administering communion and uh, the Sunday school all came up and if you remember, they all lined up on the pulpit side and were kneeling and this girl who was in the fifth grade and was part of our Sunday school, uh, Brooklyn, she brought her friend to church and uh, during communion at Calvary, they came right up to the rail, and I could hear them talking, and uh, I heard uh, Brooklyn's friend say, and what's this? And Brooklyn responded, stick your hands out, because you're going to get Jesus. (laughs) And then the other girl goes, oh cool, I need this. (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes, it's true. But this is my third point. And I'll close up with this. This is real. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's taken away your sins. And they are as far from you as the east is to the west. And this is all about Christ. And therefore evangelism, like that little fifth grade girl Brooklyn did, is to witness, is to point to where Jesus has placed his name by the power of the Holy Spirit clearly to point people to the gospel, to point people to baptism, to point people to this table. And as they come forward to say to our friends and neighbors through the ebbs and flows of life, behold, even even a parishioner who may be struggling, say to them, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and your sin as well. And some, they'll think you're totally crazy. But as St. Paul will say to us next week in our epistle reading, to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. Or as that little girl said, Oh cool, I need this. Come on up, because you and I need this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org/ give. Thank you for your support.